Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Angela Mattiota is the Senior Vice President of RCM Solutions at Surgical Notes, and we caught up with her to talk all about the role eligibility verification plays in ensuring profitability. During our discussion with Angela, we dive into common challenges, the role technology plays, authorizations, avoiding revenue loss, and more. In our news recap, we'll cover Uber's same-day prescription delivery, open AI and EHRs, four reasons surgery centers are struggling to meet margins right now, and of course, end the news segment with a positive story about Virginia's plans to tackle the nursing shortage. Now, before we get into the episode, I wanted to personally invite any of our listeners who are going to the ASCA conference in Louisville from May 17th to the 20th to stop by HST Pathways booth. Uh, During exhibit hall hours, I'll actually be chatting with people right in the booth to be on an upcoming podcast episode that will air in late May. So if you want to share your expertise with our listeners, it will only take a few minutes of your time. So come find me and HSC Pathways at booth 519. We have a big booth right in the middle of the floor. You can't miss it. So I hope everyone enjoys the episode. And here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Excited for it. Can you give our listeners a quick overview of your background in the ASC industry? Sure. So I have been in the ASC industry for going on 25 years. Uh, My entire RCM career has been specific to surgery centers. Uh, I've been with Surgical Notes for about six years now and currently working in a lot of different facets for the company, including onboarding, operations, business analytics, client experience, uh, and that kind of goes hand in hand with my background too. For the 25 years, I've kind of had my hand uh, in all the facets of RCM related to ASCs. Fantastic. So deep, deep background on revenue cycle and RCM. And so I thought that would be you know, a great, great topic to hit on here today. And when we think about the overall RCM process and life cycle, you know, up front, one of the upfront pieces is obviously eligibility verification for the patient. And, and that seems pretty important because if that's wrong or not captured, it can lead to downstream impacts on the ability to, to collect. Um, And and so I wanted to ask you about that in terms of how do you think about eligibility verification, you know, and and why is it so important to the overall RCM process? Well, the eligibility verification really is the first step um, after scheduling the case. Uh, It determines the viability, uh, whether or not the patient is eligible uh, with current effective dates of insurance. It also allows you the ability to determine the estimated payment based off the scheduled codes uh, and going into case costing. 
Uh, is it a high cost case? And will they recover those costs uh, as far as the estimation goes? And taking it even further, of course, is going into the patient collections up front. Uh, the importance of providing the patient with those options and collecting that so that you're not chasing it on the back end. Got it. And how are ASCs doing this today? Are there some different different ways that, that ASCs you know, conduct eligibility verification? There's so many different ways in it, and it does have an impact whether or not the center is out of network or in network. When a center is out of network, it's really important to pick up the phone and call the insurance. Uh, even if you look at their eligibility online, you can determine that they do have uh, current insurance uh, benefits, but it doesn't tell you the type of patient policy. For example, an MNRP policy, which is through United Healthcare, that indicates that it's going to pay Medicare rates uh, or a percentage of Medicare rates. Uh, but when you're in network, then you have a whole array of software out there available to the ASCs. Uh, you can do it through Waystar, which is a very common, prominent uh, clearinghouse. Uh, they do the eligibility and benefit verification as well. Uh, and then there's also specialized software that not only does real-time benefit verification and patient estimates of responsibility, but has the ability to also reach out automatically via text or email to patients and track the percentage of patients that are looking at that communication and receive a professional estimate through that text link. Got it. So, so you mentioned, you know, I think think a couple different ways to do it, right? You said, hey, in the, the out of network scenario, you really got to call, and there's not a there's not a lot of automation or, or, or software that you can use for the in network. I assume you can still call, right? But but um, and and we see some customers that are doing that, but more automation becomes available via clearinghouse or via um, you know patient patient estimation and insurance verification kind of software tools, right? Right. And even the practice management software nowadays available to ASCs can interface with the clearinghouse and do those estimations as well and verify the benefits real time. Yep. I'm curious, uh, with your guys' customer base, you know, looking at the in-network side, What's kind of the mix in terms of people that are using software for insurance verification for, for versus folks that are calling? For for well, I would say it's probably about fifty to sixty percent that is utilizing some type of software, and others will utilize picking up the phone or they will go directly to the payer portals themselves. Okay. Got it. And so we, we talked a little bit about eligibility verification in terms of the coverage. One of the things that I see centers talk about is how often they check or, or, or ping the insurance regarding the coverage. And is it still current before the procedure? What's your kind of guidance or best practice there? 
It really depends on the size of the center, but common, the most industry standard is to stay one to two weeks out from date of service. And that gives you a little bit of room also so that you're handling any add-ons, uh, you know, within a 24-hour period because there's always going to be add-ons. When you do it one to two weeks ahead of time, it and you're using a software, and it's kind of one of the benefits of the software is the real-time benefit verification check so that when the patient comes in on date of service or even one to two days before, you can recheck those benefits. It not only you're looking at is the patient still eligible, but you're rechecking their deductibles and what has and has not been met because likely when a patient's coming in, they have other claims, their doctor visits, for example, that are going through the insurance and so their deductible decreases. It helps mm. to avoid over collecting and doing mm -hmm. more. I do prefer over collecting, estimating on the high side and being in a position of refunding on the back end. But if you can prevent that where you can, then it's good practice to do that as well. So it sounds like checking with insurance more often through, through the benefit of software really is allowing providers to get more tight, more accurate on their patient estimates. <laughs> That's correct. If they're doing phone calls, they don't tend to recheck benefits. If they are utilizing software that makes it easy at a click of a button, then then we see an uptick in where they uh, those estimates and upfront deposits are more on track to what is real time. Got it. Um, so so curious, Angela, what's your you, you mentioned, hey, 60 percent of the industry or centers are kind of using software to help automate th this process, 40% or not. Sounds like there's a lot of benefit to using a tool. Maybe what are some common reasons that you see why centers may still do it manually? You know, why, why do folks still like to call or, or maybe what pitfalls do folks encounter when they think about adopting a software solution? They may not be familiar uh, some with smaller case volumes, centers that do maybe 100 cases or less per month uh, may not have as much of a need for this mm -hmm. type of software. So that's that's one because the, the higher the volume, the more impact it is, the more time consuming uh, it takes, you know, your front office to do all those different facets, not only manage the intake when the patient is checking in, but they have that responsibility to also stay on top of the cases that are scheduled one to two weeks out and the add-ons. So I think, you know, it's more of knowledge of knowing that there is good software out there. Uh, you know, some of these centers that aren't going to the conferences, when you go to the conferences, you see this you know, these booths uh, left and right. I mean, they're they're pretty prominent and there's some really great, uh, great products out there. So I think that that's more of it because I do, you know, talk to our clients I know and promote these types of softwares, uh, especially if they're a higher volume center. Sure. And what about authorizations? Because this seems to be a thorn in the side some of our customers that I talk to, because it can be a time intensive process. You know, what are your best practices or tips and tricks around prior authorizations? 
Oh, authorizations, like you said, I mean, there's there are a lot of potential issues that can come up with authorizations. I consider the authorizations to be one of the more recent games <laughs> that the insurance is playing hmm. uh, over the last year. And what they what they are doing is they're putting in these time statutes that they you have to update authorizations within four days, seven days, fourteen days from date of service, or you uh, can be penalized fifty percent, or the case will be denied. And if it's denied because of that, some of these payers, it's really difficult to overturn those denials. So. With the authorization, one one thing with the software uh, that's used for eligibility uh, and patient estimation, that is the one area that is still lacking, is the authorizations. There's yeah. improvements over time, yeah. but it's still lacking. So, so this is an area that, in general, the technology still hasn't fully automated this authorization side. Um, and so it sounds like centers are still ha having to call for, for prior authorizations. And, and so given it's a manual step, what, what can centers do to make it more efficient or, you know, you know make, make sure that they're, that, that, that they're not calling for authorizations that they don't need to collect, for example? You know, how, how are people managing this? So first is uh, working with the provider's office. I would say it's most common for the provider's office to uh, call for the authorizations initially because they're authorizing the surgeon's case. And if they're going to authorize the surgeon's case, they should be authorizing the case being performed at the center they're referred to. So if they're already on the phone, then knock it out at the same time. And really when it comes to the surgery center, Ideally, they're just verifying that, yes, here's the authorization. We have the authorization number. It's for the correct procedure. Make sure that it's for the correct surgery center because that that happens. Some providers work in multiple centers. So yeah. that's something that they need to make sure to check, too. So this they is one of these areas. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, this sounds like one of the those areas that, that does require kind of coordination or communication between the practice and, and, the, and the ASC facility. Yes, absolutely. One benefit now with the authorizations is the ability uh, more and more to do it on the payer portals. And so that does that does help. And, and there's even some that require you. They won't do it over the phone. Uh, and I think... Hmm. For me, I think it's even better. Uh, you do it over the the uh, payer portals. It's quicker. You have a tracking number. You can follow up on the status of it versus picking up the phone. You can get through a lot, you know, a lot more quicker when you're doing it through the portal. So I would always recommend checking. And if you are in charge of doing the insurance verification and authorization, then keep keep a matrix with the payers and whether or not they do have that portal. And so you can always just look over on your matrix and say, yep, this one I'm going on the portal and reduce the number of calls and hold time. Got it. Uh, so that's a good kind of medium step, not, not fully automated, but, but at least not calling. So, okay, great. And, um, 
one thing that sometimes happens in surgeries, I believe, is the procedure might change a little bit from the initial plan, right? What, what happens when after the procedure, you know, the, the team's looking at, at, at the charges and codes and they're different than what you got, you know, authorization for? Another good thing to put on a matrix uh, for the insurance verification team uh, when the code changes from scheduled to final coding, there are some payers that won't allow you to add on a code or do a retro authorization. Uh, they just require you to handle it on the back end through an appeal. And that's okay. Just because it denies initially for authorization, it's unless they have a time statute, then you're fine. You should not lose revenue because of those types of denials. Uh, and then for payers like Cigna is an example, you have 14 days from date of service to update that authorization. And so with that, uh, it's really important to have that communication with your revenue cycle team, whether or not it's in-house or you have a partner uh, doing your revenue cycle, that communication that uh, the person that's entering the charges, they see what's scheduled and they also have the coding sheet. So they see the final coding and they also have the ability to see that it was authorized. And so they should be the ones to communicate when there is a change of codes and if it's a payer that requires you to update it immediately. Yep. Great. Well, final question for you here, Angela, and this is something we ask all of our guests every week. What is one thing our listeners can do this week to improve their surgery centers? Uh, well, I would say keeping it related to this specific topic, I would say to have strong policies around collecting upfront. Um, having the ability to give the patients options, whether mm -hmm. or not it be funding or payment plans, uh, financial hardship, whatever those policies may be, but do your patients a favor, give them a professional and as close as accurate estimation upfront, collect that estimation. Uh, and that just helps the patient. I know if I'm going in to have surgery, I want to know how much I'm going right. to be out of pocket. And I expect to pay that upfront. Right. And should be, you know, the same across the board for for other, you know, other centers. Just focus on patient satisfaction and providing them what they need so that they can pay up front and then that will help reduce revenue leakage on the back end. Yeah, it makes total sense. So give them an accurate estimate up front and then and then collect it by what's the best practice? Should centers be asking their patients to pay by data service? Pay by or at date of service, you know, at the time of service is okay. Uh, if they don't pay, then at least have that pre-service financial call. Uh, if the, you know, to tell the patient what they owe and what is, what is the expectation, you know, provide them with a link to pay online through credit card. Is the patient saying they'll bring a check with them? Uh, on the date of service? Did you set up a payment plan? Uh, and if you do set up a payment plan, set up an auto payment plan. Don't, don't uh, just make a note to say 
for the RCM team on the back end to set up a payment plan, depending on whatever the balance is on the back ends. Get those payment plans set up up front. Yep. And it, it seems that seems like good good practice and, and common sense. Um, but there's still a lot of centers that don't do that. They don't require their their patients to even pay at at data service. Do you have a sense of why? What, what are the common objections? The most the most common reason for centers that I have experience with it's their demographics. It always comes down to demographics. It's the types of of patients. It could be uh, Medicaid patients or an older demographic, uh, more strained financially demographic uh, that they tend to be a little bit more forgiving. Uh, the other reason would be not having those policies, not reviewing it, not KPIs, key, perform uh, key performance metrics aren't just for on the back end, our collections and volume and charges and AR, it also should include your upfront collections. Uh, you know, those types of uh, KPIs are really critical too. So they should include those. So sometimes it's just kind of a lack of visibility, you know, kind of yeah, into the visibility, yeah. focus on other things uh, yep. within the surgery center, uh, you know, not getting feedback. Uh, from the team doing the RCM could be also a reason that they don't realize, sure. you know, that there is more urgency to uh, improving those processes up front. Sure. Well, Angela, thanks so much for joining us today. I really, really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Uber Health, which is self-described as the non-emergency medical transportation arm of the company, announced a new partnership with Nimble RX and ScriptDrop to provide same-day prescription delivery to patients across the U.S., um, and even including those in rural areas. Patients can request prescription delivery through their healthcare provider or pharmacy, and Uber Health will connect them to Nimble RX's network of pharmacies. Patients will receive updates on the status of their delivery and can track their meds in real time through the Uber app, just like you would if you were waiting for a ride or if you were stocking your food as it's being delivered from the restaurant to your front door. As healthcare providers and patients have increasingly turned to telemedicine and other virtual healthcare solutions, the option for same-day prescription delivery is not only extremely convenient, but also eliminates the need for patients to leave their home if they are sick um, and you know, pose no risk of exposing their community to whatever they may have going on. Uh, this is not Uber's first venture into the healthcare space, as they already provide transportation services to healthcare providers and patients, <clears throat> and they also partner with prescription discount card company GoodRx to offer discounted rides to patients. So the service is available immediately, and both companies expect the partnership to expand in the future. Um, and if you have tried Uber Health, please leave a comment on HST Pathways LinkedIn post. I would love to hear your experience. I don't know anybody who has tried it yet, uh, but would love to hear what it was like, if it worked, and all that good stuff. 
In our second story, HIMSS 2023 took place last week, and there is all sorts of news coming out of the show, announcements being made. Um, Epic and Microsoft announced that they will integrate OpenAI's upcoming GPT-4 language model into Epic's EHR. The integration uh, will allow EHRs to process and analyze unstructured data such as clinical notes, free text fields, and patient feedback uh, with greater accuracy and efficiency. The goal, of course, is to help clinicians make more informed decisions and ultimately improve patient outcomes. Now, the announcement marks a significant step forward for the healthcare industry's use of AI in clinical decision-making. I feel like at least every other week, I'm sharing a story about some sort of, of AI, artificial intelligence um, that is being woven into every facet of the healthcare industry. So this really shouldn't come as a surprise, but it still always feels shocking. <laughs> um so the ability to process and analyze vast amounts of unstructured data has been a challenge for healthcare providers, and the GPT-4 integration would help overcome that hurdle. Now, Epic and Microsoft emphasize their commitment to patient privacy and security, which is obviously the number one concern here, uh, and they shared that uh, GPT-4 will only have access to data with patient consent and that all data will be de-identified to protect patient privacy. So GPT-4 is expected to be released in 2024, and then the integration with Epic's EHR system is expected to follow shortly after. In our third story, according to an article from Becker's ASC, there are four major reasons surgery centers are struggling to meet their margins right now. The first is still supply chain issues. So ASC's are having a hard time securing necessary supplies, and if they can secure what they need, the increased prices make it difficult to do so um, in a you know financially responsible way. Uh, Michelle Islander is an administrator in Iowa, and she shared that there are many times that we have to order a higher price item due to the back order of the regular used item. And she noted that it's common that they need to order from multiple vendors just to get what they need. The second will come as no surprise, staffing. Uh, surgery centers spend an on average $2.2 million on employee salary and wages, um, which accounts for about 21.3% of net revenue. The third is an increase in publicly insured patients. Um, so an admin in New Jersey shared that the increasing number of patients with publicly funded insurance plans, whether that's Medicare or Medicaid, can be challenging from an economic standpoint. This often happens with podiatry and orthopedic patients with unexpected implants that exceed Medicare reimbursement for that procedure. The fourth is declining private reimbursement. So ASC leaders are having trouble securing reimbursements from commercial payers that are rising at the same price of inflation. An admin in Connecticut shared that even with inflation running at 5 to 8% currently, commercial payers are only willing to increase contract reimbursement rates by 2 to 3%, which obviously results in margin compression and can ultimately lead to negative cash flow situations. So you're probably thinking, that's great. Thanks for sharing our problems with us. But I thought it was helpful because you might be struggling to figure out where the leak is coming from. And maybe you aren't sure what hidden expenses are actually draining you or, or industry trends um, that are causing you to be struggling to meet your numbers. So I just wanted to share what others in the ASC have found to be the root cause. 
And to end our new segment on a positive note, Valley Health, the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association, and Shenandoah University are working to tackle the region's nursing shortage through a program that will enhance the training of aspiring nurses and create a sustainable pipeline of new healthcare professionals. I know that is always top of mind for everybody right now. The Next Gen Nurses program, it's called, draws upon the expertise of semi-retired and retiring nurses to help train the next generation of nurses before they leave the profession. Um, the program intends to create a reliable source of new nurses in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, so, congrats to everyone involved in assuming the problem will be the sorry the pro the program will be a success. Perhaps it can be rolled out in other areas of the country as well. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day, and we will see you again next week.